Welcome everyone to 96 Greer's, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. I'm Reg Lynn. And I'm Patrick Rapol. And today we are going to be talking about the 2017 movie Pottersville, directed by Seth Henriksen and written by Liam Stahl. Got to start with a bang. <laughs> really? <laughs> you gotta, when you're talking about the work of Judy Gray, you really got to start big. Well, you know, we're releasing this in December and it is technically a Christmas film. That's so. true. It is technically a Christmas film. <laughs> and it was on Netflix and easy enough to find, so... Here we are. Yeah. So let's talk about our pre-watch expectations. Patrick, had you seen this movie before? Yeah, I had not seen the movie before, but I had seen like the memes. I remember I was on the internet in 2017 when the trailer dropped and everyone said, what is Michael Shannon doing in this Hallmark movie? My expectations were very low. I'm not someone who watches like ironically watches bad like Netflix Christmas movies or Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't That's not your that's No, not your I watch plenty of bad movies, but that's just not my particular brand of bad movie. Right. Um and so and I'm honestly like I'm kind of a I'm a bit of a Scrooge. I'm not like a big Christmas person. I don't like Christmas movies in general. But my expectations were basically very low. I was like, okay, this is A, it this looks terrible. It looks like it's going to be an unfunny comedy. Um I thought that all of the writing would, was going to be bad, but I looked at the cast and I was like, all right, well, at least Michael Shannon is going to be funny, which not not the case. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, uh, so I didn't realize until we started prepping for this podcast that Pottersville, the title, is a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. Sure. In, in, a, in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, when Jimmy Stewart sort of sees the reality where he never existed... Um, his small town is taken over by the cruel evil banker and it becomes this sort of like den of sin called Pottersville named after this banker. And once I realized it was a wonderful life reference, I had expectations for, oh, okay, so this is going to be like, uh, I didn't think it was going to be a take on It's a Wonderful Life. It seemed like the plot was just way too different, Mm -hmm. but I thought it's going to be full of superficial references to It's a Wonderful Life. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to see a lot of character names, quoted lines. There's going to be some visual gags or something that's like, oh, yeah, you know, like in It's a Wonderful Life. Uh And in fact, I had to, I'd never seen, I'm not a big Frank Capra person, so I never watched It's a Wonderful Life. I just happened to miss it on TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I watched it for the very first time in preparation for this film. Uh, not necessary. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about that later. But so, but so part of so part of your, your pre-watch experience was your first like full viewing of It's a Wonderful Life. Exactly, the, the exactly. So so this I for some reason these movies will always be linked uh, in my head. Uh, very different, um, and you know specifically because we were watching it for this podcast. I had very thorough expectations that I was going to be disappointed in how Judy Greer was going to be utilized, <laughs> and I thought that she would still probably be pretty funny. All right, fair enough. What um, about you? Had, had you seen this movie before this? I, I did see this movie before. Um, I did not remember much about Judy Greer's character, even though she has second billing. I had to, I, I remembered a, a few scenes here and there, um, but I did go back to uh, my letterbox um, to see, you know, when I saw the movie and what I thought about it. And I did watch it December 2017. I gave it two and a half stars uh, and my review, wow. <laughs> my, I'm, I, I'm, I, I tend to be 
generous. That's true. With my with my ratings, that's like, true. Like, I'm movies not... are hard work, and people work hard to make them. Yeah, exactly. That is that is my thought when it comes to rating movies. Um, <laughs> so my and my review was as follows: It's bad, but it's fun. Bad held my interest more than most movies I sit through with my parents when I visit home and thank the gods I didn't have to explain furries to them. I what I can only glean from this and the fact that like I did watch it, you know, December 23rd of 2017 was that I was at home and my my family, my parents and I, you know, at night we will watch a movie um before everyone goes to bed um and they do tend to like a Hallmark style okay. movie. So you've seen more than a few of these kinds of things. Uh, I've, I've seen a couple. Um, you know, s- sometimes they will go for it and in this just ap- appeal to them. So I think we probably all watched it together. I don't have specific memories of that. I probably blocked it out. Yeah, that sounds like that um, sounds like trauma response. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't I didn't hate it, but I wasn't looking forward to revisiting it either. Sure. So in case folks at home have not seen Pottersville, um, I'm just going to give a quick and dirty rundown of uh, the major events of the movie. Pottersville is a small rural town in upstate New York. The darn mill closed and it's the holidays and all. Maynard, who is Michael Shannon, runs Grieger's General Store along with Parker, Judy Greer. Maynard finds his wife, Connie, Christina Hendricks, cavorting in a fursuit with Jack, Ron Perlman, the town sheriff. He reacts by getting drunk on moonshine given to him by local hunter Bart, Ian McShane, and running around in a ghillie suit and gorilla mask. The next morning, there's a new story of a Bigfoot sighting in Pottersville. Maynard sees how excited the town is over the sighting, so he continues his accidental hoax. The town immediately starts a tourism industry as Bigfoot seekers come to visit. The buzz attracts Brock, Tom Lennon, a famous cryptid hunter. Convinced by his producer that capturing Bigfoot for his TV show is a good career move, Brock goes camping in the woods with Bart the Hunter and Jack the Sheriff. Maynard dresses as Bigfoot and goes into the forest so Brock can get footage of him and Pottersville can get on TV. Bart shoots Maynard with a tranquilizer dart and they drive back into town with their quarry in tow. Brock shows the townspeople he's captured Bigfoot, but Parker reveals that it's Maynard under the gorilla mask. Brock gets mad, threatens to sue the town, and leaves. The town turns against Maynard, but Parker shows them that he has been allowing them to run up their tabs at the general store without expectation of being paid back. Unbelievable. The townsfolk gather at the general store and apologize to Maynard. Connie is interested in Maynard again, but he breaks up with her. Brock gets fired. Maynard and Parker turn the old mill into a Bigfoot museum. The end. So, Patrick, what did you think about Pottersville? (laughs) Okay. So... That it is the movie that everyone was talking about when the trailer came out back in 2017, which is like there it's because it's a trailer where it starts off as one thing and then it becomes a different thing and then it becomes a different thing altogether. Where first you're like, Michael Shannon is in a low budget Christmas movie, and then you're like, Michael Shannon's in a low budget Christmas movie about furries, and then Michael Shannon's in a low budget Christmas movie about furries and a Bigfoot hoax. And wait a second, and so are these other six named celebrities? Yeah, yeah. When I was doing research um, for this podcast, I did didn't find a lot about the history of the making of Pottersville, but I did 
find a lot of um, sort of predictive articles um, before it was released saying, well, Michael Shannon is this great actor and he has such good taste. So I have really high hopes for this movie. And just like, look at this cast. Look at all these great people in in the cast. And, and there was this like optimism for it, even though it was like, well, maybe the trailer looks strange, but it's going to be great because it's Michael Shannon. I mean, this is the same year that he was in The Shape of Water, which um, yeah. and, and that's like like a like a huge acclaimed role for him. So yeah, I think, think he got nominated for I think uh, Nocturnal Animals the year before. Yeah. So he this is in the it, Michael Shannon really hasn't been in this in this lane lately, but like this was in the Michael Shannon Awards movie lane. Um, you know, uh, he, he was, he was a really big name and he was this actor who everyone like just sort of felt on was, is on the cusp of like being the great, you know, Academy Award winning, whatever. Um, but I know myself and I just know that like the novelty of a movie like this exists for me, like that is entertaining very briefly and then you're stuck watching it and the movie's got to deliver and so I never, I like I said, I don't, I don't sort of hate watch or ironically watch these Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't ironically watch the sort of Sci-Fi Channel movies that are full of cameos either. Like mm-hmm. I, I had very low expectations, but I tried to go in with a generous spirit, and I tried to go in knowing. Um, I did read one interview with Michael Shannon, and he did say. Uh, he didn't. He didn't really want to talk about the movie very much, but he did say like, "Well, you know, my friends had a script, and I was like, well, let me help you out. We'll make the, get a script made.'" And it, you get the feeling that it was like Michael Shannon doing a couple of his buddies a favor, yeah, and then other people going like, "Well, if Michael Shannon's in it, like, even if this movie's terrible, like, at least I'll get to work with Michael Shannon." Yeah, yeah. Both Michael Shannon and Ron Perlman were producers. The the director and writer don't seem to have done many projects after that. And I mean, yeah, the quote that I pulled from that Michael Shannon interview was it was a way to help a couple of my buddies to accomplish their dream in life. So all's well. That's that ends well. Yes, this is (laughs) this is Michael Shannon embodying the spirit of Maynard. And he was a very generous Christmas gift to his friends to be in this movie. But I didn't think I was going to like it. And I didn't like it. It's it's a bad. Okay, so. I'm I'm really struggling with like where I guess because I don't watch these Hallmark movies I uh, I have like no real frame of reference. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, like like I said, you know, my parents will will kind of put a movie like that on when I'm home. They just remember one where it was just like, you know, it, it's set in the Smoky Mountains and it's it's on a, a horse ranch and and there's like just this, this down home country gal and 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 the guy who she kind of has a, a vaguely Jane Austen-esque relationship with, where it's like, oh, they don't like each other, but then they like each other and they get together and it's Christmas and everything's nice. So I think my issue with this movie is it's so so bad it's good is just not like a thing in my brain. Like right. if a movie is interesting to me, it's good. And if it's not interesting, it's bad. And mm-hmm. comedies that aren't funny are not interesting to me. And if this was actually a good, better version of the thing it was trying to be, it would be funny because it's such a bizarre five car pileup of, uh, of, of uh, different subplots and ideas. Yeah. Um, but you're not invested in any of it because none of it makes any sense. They don't like, uh, he goes on it. He get dresses as a gorilla and goes on a drunken rampage and it immediately becomes the town sensation in that very next morning bef- as the news broadcast is happening? The timeline is very quick. Yeah. So the, the People movie... People are making Bigfoot shirts like seven hours after yeah. he gets drunk. Yeah, yeah. So so the movie starts and we're already in Christmas season. Generously, it is 
after Thanksgiving. And then the climax of the movie happens on Christmas Eve. So yeah. at, at most it's three or four weeks of of action. And yeah, it, it's like the first thing that happens is that Maynard, you know, catches Connie uh, with Jack, finds out that she's a furry. So this is the movie still had me because that scene is, it's very funny that they have this marital argument and she keeps the head on for so long that he's just <laughs> yeah. arguing with a bunny and a wolf. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that he is just like so stubbornly refusing to not just accept the premise of furries, uh, which is like of the age he is like, yes, and and sort of like being in a small town or whatever. Like, yeah, he this probably doesn't make any sense to him. Right. But also just like even accept the premise of which animals they are. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. He does keep calling Jack a squirrel and then Jack gets grumpy and keeps saying, I'm a wolf. Yeah. Like that stuff is very funny to me. And yeah. it just takes forever. And then the reveal that it's like Christina Hendricks is also very funny. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Something that kind of tripped me up uh, when I was watching that scene was that they're in fursuits. And yeah. I guess that's sort of like like the visual gag. But they're really bad fursuits. Like, it, like they basically went to, you know, wherever you rent like sports mascot costumes mm -hmm. from or like Easter bunny costumes. And that's what they're wearing. Um, which I guess if they're just like starting to like dip their toes in, that would make sense because getting like a bespoke fursuit is, you know, it, it's, it takes a, a lot of, you know, effort and, and money and like, you know, commissioning someone. Um, so if they, if they're just sort of like novice furs and they want to try fursuiting for the first time, like maybe that's what they do. But it um, also seems to be a furry community that ex it consists entirely of adult professionals who would have the just you know, disposable income. Maynard doesn't have any kids. So like, yeah. And they live, they live in a giant Victorian house. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's like you have, you have to find someone, you have to commission it. They have to make it for you. Like it's a whole thing. I, I must confess. And I, I think I can speak for both of us and where it's like, neither of us are furries. We're both pro furry. We're both positive. Oh yeah, for sure. A lot of the lovely folks on Mastodon um, are furries. I did find um, a really great breakdown of this movie on YouTube mm -hmm. by, by um, a YouTube user named um, Aubergine, who has a, um, a a series called Furries in the Media, okay, um, and they talked about this movie and um, something that they brought up was, uh, of, of course, they didn't like that furry was just kind of used as like a punchline for its own sake. Like it's not really saying anything. It's just like oh, furry shock, you, you know, just just that very like baseline kind of humor. existence is the joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. But also that uh, Jack keeps saying, oh, it's all about like wearing these costumes. And they brought up the fact that like a lot of furries don't even have fursuits. Like the majority aren't fursuiters. It is about like furthering the plot because like in this like costume and, and gets um, gets mistaken as Bigfoot. So it, it, that does sort of end up being the incitement for the rest of the movie. Um, but it's still, they, they didn't like do their research. Well, that's what I was going to say is despite my positive uh, feelings towards people pursuing, you know, what, whatever they're into, I have never been interested in, in, in that world. And I've, so I also like just am ignorant of it. And <laughs> it seems like the people who made the movie are as well, because it's a very weird line where they're walking, where it's, like well it's not sexual but then everything they talk about like why they like being furries and what like when they stumble upon the yeah, furry they just orgy keep in the woods them it's like, like sex freaks it's and, like, well yeah. but it's like but like 
it seems pretty sexual. Like it's all about them rubbing on each other and moaning. Like, they, like it's it may not be intercourse, but it seems in this movie, being a furry meat is a inherently sexual thing. Yeah. So yeah. That, that was just like a weird sub. I'm just like trying to wrap my head around this movie's view of furries, which I think in 2017 it was like, okay, we can't, we have to like, we can't just be mean spirited and point and laugh, but we, that's what we want to do. So they've ended up in this middle ground that kind of makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess all the, also the fact that like Maynard finds Jack and Connie like alone in their bedroom, yeah. which is kind of right. this like shorthand for, you know, right. I mean, it's, that's it's not the like, scene. It's the yeah, they're, they're not scene. like sitting in the living room watching Robin Hood together. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I will say though, you said this is how he ends up in the Bigfoot costume. Can you explain to me how he ends up in the Bigfoot costume? Because he has Halloween costume box in his back right. office, and that's where he gets the mask and he gets like the little gloves and everything. What is he wearing? He's wearing, um, I think it's called a ghillie suit. Oh, okay. um, so it. it's like, right. so it's like Hunter's camouflage. So this general store that Maynard runs was. So confusing to me. I General mean, store I slash florist slash cafe. Yeah, slash slash um, hunting and camping gear slash Bigfoot t- um, tourist tchotchkes. It's a very strange store, um, and also the fact very generalized. I yeah, must it, say. yeah, it's a very generalized general store. It's like all <laughs> the things at Maynard's. Um, so um, the the movie opens up with these shots showing how the town's economy is depressed. Like it's a lot of shots of like, you know, there's four rent signs up, you know, there's like foreclosure signs up. You see like these kind of dilapidated buildings. So it's like folks aren't holding onto their houses. Folks aren't holding onto their businesses. But then he has just this like, quaint charming um like literally like jars of penny candy on the counter store it doesn't seem like the kind of essential core business that everyone is relying on but people are coming to the store for all manner of things i guess it's it's this so this movie is fundamentally has nothing to do with christmas like the story of it right um but it feels like they had to shoehorn in the Christmas in the surfaces and textures of like, okay, where every shot snow is on the ground and we're going to have some Christmas decorations and some Christmas music. And and this, this location feels like quintessential when you think of the sort of American imaginary of like folksy small town uh, Christmas. Yeah. It was shot in central New York, like like near Syracuse. This is like, they have stepped off the street in 2017 and they step into the Norman Rockwell, 1933. Right. Um, And that's like, that's what they're going for. Or the Frank Capra, 1933. Or the the Frank Capra, 1943 of uh, It's a Wonderful Life. That's definitely like the thing they're going for, which is fine because it's like, it's a ridiculous movie. So you can make these big stylized choices. Right. The problem is it's, it's it's just not funny enough to just like it just doesn't go crazy enough um and then and it, it, this kind of brings me to uh, the the reason for the season Judy Greer <laughs> um boy Judy Greer just r- really thankless role in this movie i th- i thought the same thing you know everyone else in the cast seems to be having so much fun Fun it's true with their role ian mcshane as so this good. like oh my god you're this, you're a big deadwood fan i i'm a, i am a big deadwood fan and i have to say rewatching this movie it's like the the script who oh boy it could have used a few revisions not only because of the choices the characters make but just because of the 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 dialogue but ian mcshane is just so good at at delivering 
a- any kind of line, you know. Also great is uh, Thomas Lennon. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Thomas yeah. Lennon is so overperformed. So much fun with that, like Australian accents. And it's <laughs> and, the, and then the weird thing about this movie is like, so I went in being like, all right, show me the It's a Wonderful Life. I just watched it yesterday. It's fresh in my mind. I'm going to pick up on every little detail. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Jaws. We wanted to yeah. make Jaws. Oh yeah, yeah. Ian McShane gets his Quint moments. If, if, if they ever made a Jaws remake, he would. He would knock Quint out of the park. There's a so there's a there's a thing about this movie which is it doesn't care about Maynard, it doesn't care about Judy Greer, it 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 the fundamental thing it's interested in as a comedy is uh, Ron Perlman, Ian McShane, and Thomas Lennon. Yeah, sort of being a weird 2017 Christmas version of Hooper, Brody, and Quint from Jaws. <laughs> Like they are, they all line up. Oh like my god, you got the sheriff right. there. You got the you got the so called expert, and you got the like sort of hardened hunter who really has seen it all. You're absolutely right. They're making Jaws. <laughs> so and there's there's a couple Jaws references, not just Ian McShane's speech, which is almost word for word the Quint speech right. from Jaws. There's like a couple right. other ones that it's like, and I think screen time like they're on screen way more than Michael Shannon is. Yeah, yeah, there is a significant part in the middle of the movie where where it's just, it's pretty much the three of them out in the woods. Yeah, um, Michael Shannon's entire arc is uh, I'm despondent because my marriage is dissolving out of nowhere. I don't want to let this town down. They seem really hyped about my fake Bigfoot, so mm-hmm. I guess I got to keep being Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a 40 minute gap where nothing happens with his character. Yeah, where he's just sort of like, well, I guess I got to keep being Bigfoot. And then Parker, Judy Greer is just sort of like, oh, I'm worried about Maynard. But yeah, she, she but, gets she and gets yeah, this and so, role. And so because the movie's not interested in Maynard, it's really like Parker only exists as a reflection. She is a utility player. Oh, um, yeah. And it's, and it's, she is, and it's like, Judy Greer is great. And Judy Greer is is great in this, not because she's given a lot to do, but because she's giving so little to do and she still does the job that is required for her, which yeah. is like, this is a Christmas movie and we're actually just a bunch of goofuses making a bunch of really dumb Bigfoot Jaws jokes. Yeah. And we don't actually care about any of the Christmas movie stuff. So it's really one single performance that has to be the emotional fault. Because, like, Michael Shannon's an alien in this movie. Like, it's just like a regular small town guy. You look at him and you're like, this guy's really creepy. <laughs> you know, when when Ron Perlman was talking about it in interviews because he was the um, the producer, he, he did mention, like, Frank Capra, that they're doing their own twist on It's a Wonderful Life. But Maynard is nothing like like Jimmy Stewart. He is no. he's not George Bailey. I mean, he he is, you know, this sort of um I, I mean, and to be fair, like the whole reason people reacted to the trailer the way they did is because we as a as a world agreed Michael Shannon is not Jimmy Stewart. No, like why is no. this guy the, like that's um, part of the reason that this was such a how did this get made yeah, sort of enterprise it, in the there, first place. There there is the I mean there is the suggestion that he does perform a very similar function in his community yes. where he is, you know, this this business owner that a, that a lot of people rely on. He's very selfless, but he doesn't have that rich interior life that no. George Bailey does. You don't see like those deep emotional stakes. You for only him. see it reflect in Judy Greer. Yeah. Judy Greer is there looking at him and really caring about him. Judy Greer is concerned the whole way. He doesn't seem to care if he lives or dies or what happens. And, and the thing is, she is so concerned about him and she is so 
like there to support him and you can see okay he's going through a difficult time you know he's worried about his store his wife is leaving him um but that's that's really all you get as to as to like you know and of course she, you know she's in love with him because it's a hallmark movie right. basically um but you you don't really see any interiority beyond that i mean i mean there is the there's a scene where it's like he's gonna go out for for one last ride is bigfoot and they're gonna get the footage this time and he types a letter on the on the typewriter because everything he has is is vintage he is you know he's like like the wes anderson of pottersville mm -hmm. he has his little typewriter um he types up a letter um parker finds it she reads it you never find out what's in that letter <laughs> it kind of was like the way she reacts you're like is this a suicide note? yeah 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 it, it, it's like is is he confessing to be bigfoot is he confessing he loves her is it a suicide note like like you never find out not what important. is in that not letter. important let's get more wacky not. fake australian accent from thomas lennon <laughs> Something that I was wondering, um, rewatching this movie, rewatching this movie twice because you are I'm very the nervous. Only person on earth who has seen, <laughs> seen Pottersville three, three times. times. Yeah, because I, I was very nervous about how this podcast was going to go. Um, <laughs> but um, watching it again, um, something I kept wondering was: Does this movie know how ridiculous it is? Yes, I don't. I I I think it thinks it's funnier than it is. Sure. And if it was and if this was as funny as like if this was a David Wayne sort of send up of Christmas movies that mm -hmm. just got weirder and weirder and then also had really strong jokes all throughout, we would be celebrating it as a Christmas miracle. We'd be saying it's so funny and so great or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they were hoping for was that it's it just like people are going to laugh at, it's just so ridiculous and so over the top. Um and I think that's what they were going for. I don't think you. I, there's it, there's too many silly jokes. It doesn't feel earnestly made. Um, like the reveal of the furry orgy. I, are they summoning Bigfoot? It's kind of like the scene in Independence Day where all the people gather on top of the skyscraper. It under is the like alien. that. It, it like is like, like that. They're celebrating the appearance of Bigfoot through this like just weird orgy. It's not an orgy because yeah, they're not they're having intercourse, sort of but like they're rubbing up on each other. Yeah, yeah, they're sort of yeah, they're rubbing up on each other and frolicking, and they have these very tasteful string lights up in the forest. Mm -hmm. But and, um, the music that plays is like some crazy Danny Elfman shit. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, like xylophones and, and, yeah. <laughs> and it really is just like. Yeah, and the, and the camera's kind of swirling yeah. around everyone. I don't think you make that if you're... I think you make that if you're just like, whoa, this is so weird. We're going so wild. We're yeah. going over the top, buddy. There are these like sort of like zany, eccentric moments, um, you know, but also just a lot of it seemed thoughtless, like kind of under underbaked, yes. you know? I mean, I mean, so like... And I, and I get it where it's like this kind of movie calls for like cartoonish characters with very simple motivations who kind of do nutty stuff because that's the kind mm -hmm. of movie it is. And like, that's great. But then there's just also some of it where it's just like some of the choices they make right. aren't really thought out that well. Thomas Lennon comes in. He is this crocodile hunter styled cryptid hunter with a TV show. And he has this like... Australian accent, which has to be heard to be believed. It's really preposterous. Um, yeah, and and um and you find out pretty early on in him being introduced that he's not actually Australian. Like he like whenever he and his producer are talking alone, like he drops the Australian accent and he's just talking in like you know regular kind of Thomas Lennon mm -hmm. um, accent that you expect. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, um, when everything's kind of wrapping up neatly in the denouement, there's um. 
this like news story where it's like Brock, the, the cryptid guy has been discovered to be a fraud and he's been fired and his name is actually Lenny Abramowitz and he's from Coney Island. And it's like, so you have a character who's like a big fancy media guy who comes in and lies to a small rural town and you made him Jewish? He's, he's the Christmas villain. <laughs> yeah, like, oh man, guys, you, you really... I, the, the most generous thing I can say to that is like, you really didn't think that out. And I, it's I think, 2017, I think, no, like, I what don't, are you I, doing? I think, I think the only thought they gave was, what would be a name we can give him that is so not Australian? I don't think they thought about any other repercussions. I, 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 I do not think they had anti-Semitic intentions. Their Probably intentions not. don't mean anything. It's still also like a- also like I'm pretty sure there's Jews in Australia. You know, just, just something that's like not well thought out. No, exactly. At and, all. and throughout, it's just like the central premise of how the Bigfoot frenzy hits everybody and what they th- like what they think is going to happen to them. It seems like everybody in this town is hinging their hopes on getting in B-roll on a cable show. Yeah, and they're like going to be famous and on TV because. While Thomas Lennon's character is talking, they could possibly be in a crowd in the background. There are some like pop-up businesses that happen. Like there's tourists coming in on the Bigfoot bus and there's right. the, the guys with their Bigfoot t-shirts. Right. Um, but yeah, again, it seems like everyone's just kind of kind of hinging on the sort of like glitz and glamour of of this TV show. I mean, Connie does say like, oh, this is the most exciting thing to happen to this town in 10 years. And maybe it's just the sort of thing where any sort of excitement and novelty is sure. People are going to get really, really caught up in it. Yeah. There's a there's a really good David Mamet movie, State in Maine, where Hollywood production moves into this like small New England town to shoot and. All the town gets worked up, and it's 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 very good. It's a good version of this. the The problem with this movie is none of that is well baked either, because so much time is just the the writers and directors being like, you know, what's funny? What's funny is Ian McShane and Thomas Lennon and Ron Perlman just just riffing, just, just going, just dudes being guys, just dudes being guys, <laughs> and it's like because you have to understand. A Jaws movie about Bigfoot on Christmas. This is nuts. Like, and so, and so every other subplot suffers because just so much time is spent on this like one joke that runs dry immediately. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's not well thought out. I do. So we talked about the It's a Wonderful Life uh, sort yeah. of connection. We talked about and the I Jaws guess, connection. I guess there is also that, that scene at the end where, um, you know, uh, uh, Parker reveals to everyone in town that, that Maynard has been saying, oh, you know, you'll get me next time if you can't pay. I'll write it in my ledger. And the ledger's empty, you know, because Maynard is just so selfless. And then it's He's like, so selfless that he if, if you ask him, he will give you stuff for free. Yeah, basically. And, and not even, like, keep track. Not even, like, I'm going to write it down but never follow up on it he's like i have no intention of ever receiving money for any of this it's okay i live in a giant house yeah basically a giant gorgeous house with a big wraparound porch um i'm in the very very lucrative business of selling of giving penny penny candy to children who can't (laughs) afford it (laughs) and taking my own hunting gear and ruining it by running around in the forest drunk um, so, so then at the end, yeah, you yeah, say, all, yeah, all the townspeople, um, you know, come in and they say, we love you, Maynard, Merry Christmas, Maynard. And they, and they give him the money, uh, that they owe him, which is so strange because that's unlike it's a wonderful life. It's not a solution to his 
it's not it has it's it's an irrelevant thing like right. it's it's them saying thank you but like the stack of money that forms on his desk is not like oh man i we just don't have the money to run the general store anymore it's totally irrelevant yeah yeah i mean he he is packing up the store but it but that's not a that's not a, at all there's nothing leading up to that no in fact it's the opposite he's been making money hand over fist they've been run ragged with all the people coming into yeah. his general store yeah yeah but then he's just he's like packing sadly up packing up yeah so like the so it's just like this weird little touchstone from it's a wonderful life i was wondering did you notice the one other classic movie that gets weirdly referenced um it is from the bigfoot hunters scene it is a scene that is not a Jaws scene. It's another mm. scene that gets reworked. And I paused the movie. I rewound it. I rewatched it to make sure I saw. And I was losing my mind because it was such a weird pull. I don't. What At was it? At the very end, they do The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Really? Where Ian McShane takes the shot on Bigfoot. And then he tells Thomas Lennon that Thomas Lennon is the one who got it. So that's a second Jimmy Stewart reference. But it was the man who shot Liberty Valance. I was, I was, I couldn't believe what I, it's such a weird ball. It's a, where is this coming from? It's Christmas time. And aren't we all Jimmy Stewart? Aren't we all Jimmy Stewart and ways? or John Wayne? Yeah. Uh, great movie, and, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. But. And then um, he and Parker moved to San Francisco and he gets obsessed with making her dress exactly in the same bunny suit mm-hmm. as uh, Connie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she falls off the tower of a nunnery. We're really going to hit them all. <laughs> um, and then when, when she falls off and dies, he's like, that's okay. I have one other giant bunny, don't I, Harvey? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that music plays. It goes dun, dun, dun. Um, anyway, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, I wrote my expectations for the movie ahead of time was not on there um (laughs) so as a judy greer movie Mm -hmm. um we haven't really talked much about our relationship to judy greer or her career and i feel like that's just one of those things that's going to develop as we watch more judy greer movies but this is a very good sort of indication of what judy greer can bring to a movie which is you give her nothing and she comes back with something she spins straw it's not gold, but she spins straw into shiny straw. <laughs> she makes the best goddamn straw that she possibly can. Um, and, and and in those scenes where it's like incumbent on her to just sort of like look longingly at Michael Shannon and sigh yeah. or whatever, there's one great joke that she gets, and I was so pleased, where he, he when he is totally trashed off of Ian McShane's moonshine, he goes, I need to ask you something. Are you a furry? He goes, she goes, what? He goes, it's important to me. And this is after she offered like, look, come over and sleep on my couch. You don't need to like sleep on the floor of the general store. He's like, are you a furry? She's like, you'll be fine here. I'll see you in the morning. And she does does that like a little turn and it's like, oh, they gave her a good joke and she made a meal out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like like this one little moment of like, okay, I'm going to stop being sweet because you're being ridiculous. But yeah, the, the rest of the movie, she's just sort of being like warm and concerned and supportive and it's wonderful, but it's all she gets to do. I, I am curious. What do you think about Parker in this town? Like, what's she doing there? And like, what? What? Who is she before all this happens? I mean, you learn nothing about her. Right. That's the thing. You have to. You have to. You have to I surmise that. Like, I didn't even get a great sense if. 
I mean, I guess she's his employee. Because yeah. because I'm watching the oh, movie and right. I'm like, because they're kind of like maybe it's like a one do, building and two businesses. Or yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Maybe it's like she's running the cafe part and he's running the cafe the, slash florist. Yeah, the cafe slash slash florist and he's running the grocery slash hunting goods. Yeah. <laughs> That's a match made in heaven right there. They're roughly the same age. I think it's possible that they're both townies and they just grew up together and they've mm-hmm. been friends their whole lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, they call each other Park and May, which kind of, you know, suggests that they've got a very close relationship. So this whole movie takes place over the course of like three weeks, right? Yeah. Three or four weeks. Yeah. So his marriage dissolves. Right. It's got to be like a week later that she's like, hey, I want to go get a beer or something. What? Yeah. You think she was sitting there watching that Maynard and being like, oh, he's the bridesmaid. Judy Greer, the classic Judy Greer story. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, he's the, the bridesmaid. bridesmaid. And, she, and then like when Christina <laughs> Hendricks drops Maynard, she's like, holy shit, this is my chance. And she's like, I'm not, I'm going to respect boundaries. I'm going to play it cool, but I'm not going to wait because this seems tumultuous and yeah. this, they might get back together and I got to stop this. So in my head, she is just like, uh, totally in love with Maynard. Mm-hmm. And, I can see that. Because yeah. there's certainly nothing he does during this movie that is like, uh, I think I think she must see his generosity and just be like, that Maynard is a really great guy. Yeah. And it might be like, she, they didn't know each other well in school, but then like, as working together over these years, she has just sort of developed the thing where she's like, yeah. God damn, that man is the greatest man in this town. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, you see him being nice to a kid in the beginning mm-hmm. and like he, he, he shovels the sidewalk when no one else will. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and I guess she knows about the ledger. So she knows what a good hearted person he is. Right. And, that that's enough for her because Maynard doesn't really have a lot else going for him, to be honest. Option two: there are two sane people in this town, <laughs> and they have are clinging to each other for dear life in this store. Yeah, neither of them has much of a life outside of the store because they're just like, I don't want to interact with any of these insane people. That old lady said she was going to stick your foot up your her your ass. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what she was hoping to get out of any of this. This is a rude, aggressive town. These two old ladies were about to fist fight each other because one said that they saw Bigfoot more than the other did. And Parker is the only person who's like, there's no Bigfoot. This is a hoax. Like everyone else is like, yeah, it's Bigfoot. Yeah. There's two sensible people in the town. One of them is Michael Shannon, who's an alien and not (laughs) an only sensible in that uh, he operates on his own profoundly strange logic. Right. And the other is Parker. Who knows how far away the next town is. I mean, Thomas Lennon comes in on a, on a helicopter. So oh, my maybe... God. They're in upstate <laughs> New York, but I don't know. You're from upstate New York. You, you tell me if there's parts of upstate New York that are only accessible via helicopter. I mean, it, it is a big state, um, not the part that I'm from. Um, there are, you know major highways connecting um connecting the state pretty much but yeah i don't know maybe they're on top of a mountain or something i don't know (laughs) i did want to ask you is is there any part of this movie that you look at and you go that's upstate new york is there any part of this movie that feels Mm. local or like uh reminds you of home not not really it's it's pretty it's a pretty generic town yeah i mean um, that's that's a limitation of budget you're not going to do a lot of on location shooting they're mostly just in the general store just set in the woods i do i do have family that live in that region and i did go to in the mountain yeah 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 yeah. in the mountain you can only access by helicopter i do have family in in the central new york region and i I did um go up there pretty recently for a a wedding and um the, the town that we were in was pretty similar where going through 
town, it was a lot of like mid-century brick buildings kind of harkening back to this town coming up in, in the early 20th century because of, of industry that's not there anymore. Um, it did sort of have, um, you know, years past kind of kind of feel to it, kind of like Pottersville does in this movie. I, I would say that that was probably the... And, and of course, like, you know, lots of forests around sure, and, and stuff like sure. that. But yeah, you're right. It, it is pretty general um I, I i mean i'm just assuming that it's supposed to be upstate new york because a that's where it's a wonderful life is set and and b that's uh, where that's where they filmed like, uh, like they did film um in upstate new york very good i i really must admit i have little else to say about pottersville i'm glad they make a bigfoot museum um yeah. I, I will say my brain, the, the specific kind of weird uh, brain poison I have, the second I saw the little sign for the Bigfoot Museum, I shook my head and I said out loud to myself, they took all the Bigfoots and put them in a Bigfoot Museum <laughs> and charged all the people a dollar and a half just to see them. <laughs> I, my mind went right to Joni Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in for Patrick's next podcast, 85 Jonies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and then there is that sort of like weird moment at the end where like Parker and Maynard have the museum and they have their kiss and then there's a sound from off in the distance that the the Netflix subtitle said was people cheering, but then they kind of look and I guess it's supposed to sound like a like a Bigfoot call. Yeah, I, it's a, I think it's like, but what if there is a Bigfoot? Here yeah. we go again. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Get ready for Pottersville 2. They never made Pottersville 2. <laughs> well, it was only five years ago. They still have time. They're going to do a legacy <laughs> sequel like A Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah. like like uh... It's going to be old Michael <laughs> Shannon and old Judy Greer. And um, it's going to start like every legacy sequel, every actor who died in between the original and the new one. Like you always have to open with a scene where they're at their grave. So they're probably going to have like Ian McShane's grave. (laughs) I don't know how old Ian McShane is, but he's probably not going to be here in 20 years. I mean, you know, probably not. (laughs) They really uh, lean in and and it takes place at like the Pottersville Furry Convention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) They need to make their amends to that community. Yeah. Um, oh, the in the oh gosh, in the update, the the insufferable nature. Like, don't worry, we got it right this time. They're basically just reading Wikipedia entries and FAQs. <laughs> At a certain point, the movie just stops with a link, so you could like look up your own first sona. Yeah, there's like a there's like a montage of Sonic fan art. Like it's a Stan Brackage <laughs> film. It, it gets very conceptual. <laughs> I didn't see Liberty Valance coming, but I should have seen the Sonic the Hedgehog Stan Brackage trivia coming. <laughs> this is a very versatile franchise. Oh, it has it has so many possibilities. Um, <laughs> um, so um, this, of course, being uh, the first episode of this podcast, still in its infancy, um, still figuring out the, uh, the the ins and the outs and the, and the structure. Um, it is time for us to pitch a segment to each other. So this is the point at which uh, Patrick and I will um, pitch each other uh, a title and a concept for a segment. Every uh, good podcast needs more than one segment. Exactly. Uh, so we're, we're going to be just having some fun experimental time and, and seeing what sticks and what does not. So Patrick, why don't, why don't you start us off? Okay. So to the table today, I bring a new segment called Judy's Garlands. And the the premise of this is that Judy Greer is such an amazing actor 
that every single performance really does deserve an award of some sort. And so if Judy Greer took this role right to the Oscars and they show a little eight second, uh, 10 second clip of her performance in this movie before cutting to her and she's trying to look very like cool and composed as people clap and you see like Ian sure. McGregor behind her or someone clapping really loudly. Right. Oh, um, like what is the scene in this movie that is the Oscar clip? I think the Oscar clip is her reading that mysterious letter that we never find out what it says, but when she's reading it, she does have a little tear running down her cheek. Oh, uh, that Oscar tear. Yeah, it's, You've it's the Oscar, Oscar tear. So so I think I think that's the clip they're going to show. I think they're going to go the activist route, and they're going to go with the scene where she gives the stirring speech about how much Maynard needs to the town, and she sort of animates oh. everybody. Because I think I think you, you want to give the impression of like the Judy Greer who is portraying like the great woman of history. Can I, can I just say something that I really loved about that scene? Yeah. So it's like the townspeople coming together and they're all angry at Maynard, but then Parker gives this this rousing speech and, and turns their hearts. Uh, and then everyone flocks to Maynard to support him. And so they're sitting around this like long table, like it's some sort of like council meeting space. And the character who's sitting to her left is this like goofy stoner character. Why is this like doofy stoner like the town elder why why is this the character who has to be convinced that's that's how by the way like the the irrefutable proof everyone immediately believes that bigfoot is there in their town and it's going to make them famous becomes because the stoner is on tv on a news report being yeah, like, yeah me and my friends smoked a ton of weed yeah. and then bigfoot came and yeah. he waved at us <laughs> and everyone's like oh my god did you hear that bigfoot's here <laughs> Okay, so, so so maybe he does have more sway over the hearts of the town than I was giving him credit right. for. You're, 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 you're absolutely no, I mean, right. you're right. He's the elder. He is the elder statesman. He's the he's the people. He's the guy people go to when they, for example, need weed or they, you know, need a uh, blacklight poster of uh, Bob Marley. Also, something that just occurred to me: when they uh-huh. all come back to Maynard and they all put the money on the desk, uh-huh. that implies that they like. A knew exactly how much they owed, right? And B had it and didn't. Yeah, like, like you know yeah, what? Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Like the whole premise is the reason he's not asking them to pay is because the mill shut the down. Mill shut down. Like she's the the mother is there. She's like almost on the verge of tears. She's yeah. like, I'm really sorry. As soon as my husband gets a new job, we'll be able to yeah. finish the bill. And like, turns out they all been, they just all had that money. Yeah. Cause it's not like it's a wonderful life where people are like, oh, I was saving this for something, but you mean so much to me. And it's like, right. and well, it's like, you need this more than me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like, and it's like, you're the one who's been keeping us out of economic ruin. Cause it's been established. He doesn't need this money that they're putting on that counter. That's right. not the solution to his problem. Right. So they just had it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, just yeah. Like, they're just like, you know, he's a sucker. <laughs> Fucking Maynard. Hey, you want to go get some free milk and eggs at Maynard's? Yeah, hey everybody, let's go get some free milk and eggs. Well, wait, no, it snowed last night. I have to shovel my walkway. No, you don't. Maynard will just see it. He'll do it for you. Like, no, fuck this town, Maynard. You got it. You got a jet, man. They got a jet for but... sure. That it's all the more reason that Maynard and Parker have to stay close. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She probably like makes sure that he locks his door at night. <laughs> makes sure that like when when like like he gets scam calls that he's not like giving out a social security number. <laughs> like that's why she's there. Oh, Maynard, <laughs> you simpleton! <laughs> um, too dumb to look out for yourself. Your wife too horny to help. 
Christina Hendricks' character in this movie, you just say the name of an animal and she starts purring. Yeah, she's the other one with like the thankless role. It's like, it's like her and Judy Greer. Like at least at least Judy Greer, it's like you have some like empathy towards her and, and there's some dignity. Oh, yeah. She's not they just are like implying, like boo, Christina Hendricks. Yeah, like 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 boo, you live in this small town and you're bored and you're trying to find yourself and you want to fuck sometimes. Like what a monster. <laughs> Anyway. So um, that's Judy's garlands. Okay. Those are the Oscar bait scenes from this movie for Judy Greer. So the segment that uh, that I'm bringing, I'm calling Greer of Missing Out. Pretty straight, Greer of Missing Out. Greer, okay. Greer of Missing Out. Pretty straightforward question. Um, if Judy Greer hadn't been cast in this role in this movie, who would be a good replacement? Um, You go first. Oh, okay. Is this like is this like when we're ordering at, at a restaurant and like one of us has to order to like make the other one like panic and make a decision? Absolutely correct. <laughs> um, I landed on Sally Hawkins. Um, another completely delightful actor. Um, she brings a lot of sweetness and tenderness to the roles that she's in. I love her in Mike Lee's Happy Go Lucky. Um, and also this was the year of The Shape of Water, so I think it might be sort of a, a healing experience for the cinephile to see after Michael Shannon terrorizes her as as the face of, you know, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy in that movie, to see them like like come together and, and support each other and have a, have a beautiful little relationship. That's very sweet. So for me, I think uh, someone else who would have been okay in this role, I don't not, not a replacement for Judy Greer, but someone I would have liked to see uh, would be Margot Roby. Um, mm. 2017 was the year I, Tanya came out. Um, and uh, I think Margot Roby is a really big performer, like sort of borderline cartoonish at times. Sure. And I think it would have been a very different energy, but I think she could have like, the if, if Judy Greer is the only actor who doesn't really get to do anything too silly and funny, like oh, he's the only sort of name actor who sort of has to play everything straight, I feel like Margot Robbie would have been more in the spirit of the other actors in this movie where she would find like a zany way to do the character or just be too big or something like that right. in a way that I would find uh, endearing in the way I find most Margot Robbie performances endearing. Oh, sure. And, and it would also be her um, like really strongly playing against type like kind of like Michael Shannon's doing in this movie yeah exactly um you you would get some of that you would get some of that energy of like is she a small town florist (laughs) (laughs) like sort of squinting so uh Pottersville with uh Margot Robbie or Pottersville with Sally Hawkins uh two alternate universes that might be better than this one probably not probably not probably not so we're gonna wrap up with a permanent segment the backbone of this podcast that we like to call judilization the question being how well were Judy Greer's talents employed by the movie at hand and as the podcast goes on we will be keeping a a ranked list um of judilization so uh this is episode one so pottersville number one with a bullet number one with a bullet also last place yes boo pottersville both the both the best and worst use of judy greer in her career in some ways it's like this is what judy greer was born to do was to just be given an inch and take a mile and then in other ways like hey She's way funnier than like half these people. Let her let her say a funny thing. 
Let her say, why did she got to play the straight man all the time? Let her be funny. Yeah, yeah. She yeah, she does get to be America's best friend, uh, America here being Michael Shannon. Um, but yeah, that, that that's all that she's given to do. We don't really see her, her motivation beyond being nice blonde lady. Uh, and she's a nice blonde lady, but yeah, th- there's there's more to her. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to... Um, to explore uh, the, the the depths and the nuances in um, upcoming episodes. What's, what are we going to be watching next, Reg? Uh, next, we're going to be watching a 2000 comedy called What Planet Are You From? Directed um, by Mike Nichols, of all people. Directed by Mike Nichols and starring... Um, Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling, that's right. Uh, so that that's an early movie for Judy Greer, smaller role than this one, a um, bit raunchier. Yes, I'm absolutely. It's a sex comedy. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it, but we will be talking about that more in uh, in January. So uh, we look forward to you joining us for that discussion as well. So uh, this has been episode one of 96 Greers. Um, thanks for joining us. I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And, and say, say goodbye, goodbye to these. these.